I remember this is a fun, I remember when I took Dakota to my mom and we met at like a parking lot and I'm handing her off to my mom to take her so that I could go to the hospital. And my mom <laughs> and I both were on the same page and my mom goes, I, I really thought about like putting a helmet on her in the car and kind of like laughing at herself <laughs> at like the like craziness of that. But also like, I was like, yeah, I thought about that too. <laughs> like, like, there's something about when you're looking at, you know, your babies, you know, possibly going to die. And then like, okay, this is my other baby. And I just had my tubes tied, right? Like I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh. And so, it, you know, it started real early on um, getting a lot of neurotic and fear-based thoughts to protect Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, Hello, hello, and welcome to all of you beautiful souls tuning in today to the Heart of the Soul podcast, Earthing Nova on YouTube. My name is Amana, and I am so happy that you're here. This is a space where we remember what it means to be wild women walking upon this earth, navigating the ebbs and flows of change, honoring each other's differences, and connecting about that which unites us. Together, we practice using our voices and the ancient ritual of storytelling, sharing our stories of birth, life, and death, and celebrating how we and they change across time. I hope that soaking in these stories will leave you feeling inspired, connected, and more alive in your own beautiful body and unique life. Today is Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. I am currently in the bedroom of my tiny little mobile home in Mississippi. I have my dear friend Cami here with me today. I met her about eight years ago in Spokane, Washington at a full moon goddess gathering. We saw each other often at gatherings throughout the years, mostly around the full moon. I felt connected to her depth right away, and over the years I got to know a little more about her, including her daughter, Sierra. I'm honored to have you here with me today, Cami, to share about your journey of mothering Sierra, both when she was here with you in the physical form and now that she is in spirit. So I just want to say thank you, thank you for showing up today to share about your daughter, Sierra, and if you would like to introduce yourself in whatever way feels good to you and then take us wherever you'd like to begin. Oh, thank you. I'm also practicing saying you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Why why does that sound, why does that feel so weird and awkward when it comes out, but I feel so genuinely your your gratitude and want to acknowledge that and Mm -hmm. that reciprocity. Um, Gosh, I don't really... I don't really know how to introduce myself probably ever. That's not like a skill I seem to have in in life. I think if I were to try, I would, I don't know. I I think, I don't know if I have a view of myself that I'm too complex or Hmm. um, kinder word would be dynamic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I'm like, how do I sum myself up? But I suppose some of the literal things are, um, I, I am the mom of three kids and been married to my husband for 20 years and the 19th year was the hardest Mm. so far um but he's my best friend and we're exact opposites um i'm more in the you know 
sensitive, like sensing the metaphysical realm, and he's in the very literal having to trust me um, about my experiences because it's pretty foreign to him um, or completely foreign. And then our firstborn is Dakota. She was born in 05. Our secondborn is Sierra, and uh, she lived to be almost six years old and died in, let's see, born in 07, so body died in uh, 2013. So she hasn't been with us physically for I think that's about nine and a half years now. And she would be 15 years old, I think. I don't know. What's been really weird is I've ha had a hard time keeping track of how old she would be um, after her body died. But I, I think she would be that old now. Mm -hmm. And then um, about five and a half years ago, we adopted our son from China and he's deaf and has some other developmental disabilities and so those are the three kids that I call mine and um, I'm self-employed and a Gemini <laughs> some people might stop listening now that I shared that others are going to be like yeah um, what else I don't know what are you passionate about in life Oh, uh, you know, for people to see each other is just—I say people first, but really like that spiritual being inside of each person, and the the perfection of everyone, and even people who I consider to be like heinous, you know, who are, you know, whether they're sociopaths or career criminals, um, to really just like be able to see the perfection in them and. For me, my spiritual journey is to see Sierra in everybody, um, and including the people that it's very difficult for. Um, for instance, some politicians. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, it might be really hard for me to want to see my my sweet Sierra, and mm -hmm. but that's my spiritual path, and so my my passions kind of stem from from that, and then just like anybody who has an experience of being oppressed, suppressed, unseen, underserved, um, I, I definitely would like to use my voice more to impact and improve their lives. Mm. Beautiful. Did you always know that you wanted to be a mother? Or what yeah. was that journey for you? Yeah, I mean, I came. I come from a very traditionally patriotic, patriarch family, um, very conservative upbringing. So I don't really know how much is like conditioning mm -hmm. uh, versus authentic. But I would say it's both. Probably is what my gut says. Um, when I was younger, I really felt, and like it annoys me now to hear myself say that, to say this. But like, I really felt like. I was put here on earth to be a, a mom and um, it, I don't know why it just like, I think it's like the most powerful thing to do. Um, and there's, you know, the shifting in consciousness of like, and we're more than that. We're mm -hmm. more than just mm -hmm. moms. And I don't mean to just it, but like, there's just, there's more to it. Like we are these powerful, um, entities called mom and we're also these other things and so um i have like a little bit of like a struggle in in, in saying it the same way as i used to but 
but yes, I have always known I wanted to be a mom, and my identity is, has been very tied up in it to the point where I've had to really learn how to shed a lot of that after Sierra died, and then our daughter is very, our living daughter, Dakota, is very independent, and um, our son is not as emotionally available as uh, Dakota is. So it's just been this kind of like, kind of been a lonely experience for me to be a mom, to be honest. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, motherhood, we have so many expectations. Society has so many expectations upon us of, you know, being the perfect mm-hmm. mother and our children also being perfect children and um you know it's so different the for me like the what I expected motherhood to be like and then what the reality of motherhood has been and continues to be uh and I also experienced like I mean obviously not exactly the same but like uh just the reckoning of being not just a mom I understand how you all like I feel the same way not saying just a mom like that doesn't feel quite like the right language to use but that I'm I'm also more than a mom I'm also unto myself like you know and important all on my own separate from being mother yeah Mm -hmm. yeah hmm so for motherhood for you was that you know was it different than you were envisioning or uh, uh, yeah so <clears throat> I mean gosh I started with you know my first pregnancy I, I just felt green the entire time I was 24 when I got pregnant uh, on purpose with Dakota and I just felt like shit and Oh, is this, can we swear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exp- <laughs> uh, it's explicit. You can definitely swear. because okay, I like some of the words. Uh, so, yeah, so <clears throat> that was, like, the first, like, oh, this isn't what I expected, <laughs> you know, just feeling like trash. And so um, that was just, I mean, like, it, it sounds like, oh, okay, that's so normal or whatever, but it was a really negative experience. And it really set me off on a path of, like, what this could be like. And then I was, when Dakota was born, she was so colicky. And I, I've really only met maybe one other mom who described her child sleeping as being as bad as Dakota's was. Mm-hmm. And, and it lasted until she was about three and a half years old. Um, she, no joke, Whoa. she'd wake up every half hour. And the longest she would sleep is three hours for the first three, three and a half years of her life. And oh. she also had severe colic and, you know, just spitting up. And the doctor that I went to at the time and I would express to, um, I guess just didn't really take me that seriously. And mm. maybe I, I wasn't like super outspoken about it. Cause to me, I was like, if I say my child's spitting up and fussing a lot and doesn't sleep, I thought that they would understand that I'm not saying like and I think this is normal I thought they knew I would be saying like I believe this to be in an abnormal category of normal thing you know normal occurrences at an uncommon uh, rate but they didn't and I just didn't know how to advocate for her the way I needed to 
So she was very uncomfortable for a really long time, and I was mm. just at my wit's end, not sleeping. And then I got pregnant with Sierra, and <laughs> we pulled the goalie in. Oh, by the way, I had endometriosis before I ever got pregnant with mm-hmm. Dakota or Sierra, and so I'd already had surgery on my uterus by the time I was 21, maybe, mm-hmm. and 21, 22, yeah, somewhere in there, 21, 22. And so we didn't know if I, and I rarely had periods. Um, hmm. Matter of fact, in my whole life, I I only bled for like maybe, let's see, I was in 10th grade, and then I had a partial hysterectomy by the time I was 30. So I had very few years of bleeding, and I would oftentimes go six to nine months without a period. So wow. there was a really good chance that I would have fertility issues. Mm-hmm. And it, I actually, it turns out I got pregnant very easily both times, which is very interesting to me given my medical history. Mm-hmm. And um, so. And when you got pregnant with Sierra, you were still in like this sleep deprived state from yep. with Dakota? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But I knew, I, like, I wanted, I wanted my kids to be relatively close together mm-hmm. in age. And so when Dakota was about uh two like not quite two um it was kind of a heat of the moment and i was like yeah let's i don't want to <laughs> i don't need to wear a condom and so uh, and then literally afterwards i went i just i just got pregnant i had this very spiritual experience um <laughs> beyond wow. just an amazing orgasm <laughs> like i don't even know if i had an amazing orgasm to be honest i don't remember that part but i remember like having this like deeply spiritual moment and I I had like all these things coming to me and so I was like I, I'm pregnant and my friends still joke because um, the next day we went out to like a little pub and everyone was getting a drink and I, I ordered a glass of wine and I was like I don't think I should drink because I'm pregnant and they were like you're pregnant of course you shouldn't drink like what are you and so and I was like well no like I just got pregnant last night and they were like they all just bust out laughing and I was like no no really and I I did um amazing yeah yeah and Jamie was gone a fair amount uh, during that time so it's pretty concrete um that that's when it happened Mm -hmm. but um anyhow so then I go through that pregnancy and I felt really good very different pregnancy Mm. and um but the the interesting thing about that pregnancy was when you know even though everything was going so smoothly so well just had this like foreboding feeling like death is near death is near and I couldn't figure out how to articulate it I knew something was up with my baby and you know at the time I would have used probably the word wrong that was just the mm-hmm. language I had back then mm-hmm. and so the language I also had said you know less less access to information back then and so what I I was like I think this baby's going to have Down syndrome they're going to be born at the time the word I used was hermaphrodite like unisex something mm-hmm. going on genetically with mm-hmm. their sex chromosomes mm-hmm. um so we picked out a, the name alex um in case that were to occur um i thought maybe the baby was going to be born stillborn um have autism like there was a list of five i think i'm forgetting one thing but that was all i could contemplate as being possible 
And wow. how did you, yeah, walk through your pregnancy with that and hold that? That's yeah. Well, like I just when I would tell people, they were like, "Oh, you're just worried, you know? It's normal to be have pregnancy jitters." Because if people would ask, it was like, "Yeah, something." They were like, "How's the pregnancy going?" I'm like, "Well, something's wrong." They're like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "I don't know. Everything's going perfectly. I just know something's wrong." Mm. And they're like, what? And I, oh, like, the other option, I think, was I was going to die in childbirth. Mm. Um, but it really felt like something was going on with the baby. And now, so when Sierra was born, the first, she was born cesarean section. And the first um, thing I asked the doctors was, because um, I had two doctors and all the, the nursing staff and surgical staff, I said, did she have all 10 fingers and toes? And that was my way of saying, does everything look, you know, exactly as we would hope it to look? Mm-hmm. And they, they said, they just laughed and they said, yeah, she's, you know, she's perfect. And of course they were right. Um, mm-hmm. it, she was perfect. And uh, after, so I also had my tubes tied. I knew that I was done having biological children and that cause I always wanted to adopt becoming a, a parent by adoption was actually my plan A since mm-hmm. I was about eight years old mm-hmm. and I was told I was too young and even though I owned a home like I'd served in the military at that time I was married um, I had a stable job and all the things I was too young to adopt but mm-hmm. nobody would think twice about it if I had my own uh, biological children so mm-hmm. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic when there's so many kids in the world yeah um, you know millions so anyhow um i was like okay so they tie my tubes they take me to recovery and um then my husband came back in the room and was like well they think they found a cleft palate so she didn't have a cleft lip but she had a cleft palate mm-hmm. and then he came back a while later and said well and i immediately i'm like okay we're not gonna this is gonna cause problems for breastfeeding more than likely mm-hmm. And then he came back in the room a while later and said they think they found a heart murmur. Um, you know, it, and he's super calm about everything, just his nature. And so that helped. Plus, I was on, you know, pain medicine from the C-section. So I was staying pretty calm, but, like, there was some heartache starting to bubble up pretty fast. Yeah. And then they said, okay, we have to take her to Sacred Heart across, and I'm at Holy Family Hospital across mm. the, the town. So they take her, they have like a... Did you get to hold her or anything before they started doing all this and taking her away? Did say that again? Did you get to hold her or anything before that all of this unfolded? No, they, so so during this whole period, I still haven't seen her other than this moment Mm. that they put, that Jane held her up on my face on the other side of the blue tarp. And we took a family photo, and I, I always coined that photo, ignorance is bliss. It's that quintessential mm. mom laying down with the C-section, dad holding baby, the three of you look. And, and I just am so, like, blissed out that she has all 10 fingers and toes, and mm. she's breathing and mm-hmm. all the things. So I saw her then, but didn't get a hold of her, and then... Um, it took quite a while for these different things. I couldn't tell you exactly, but probably a couple hours mm-hmm. of them doing different evaluations and then getting the ambulance and stuff. And so when the intensive ambulance crew um, came in, which is, it wasn't just a regular ambulance crew, um, they had respiratory therapists and um, 
RNs and that kind of stuff with the when they they brought her in in like a little I don't even know the word for it like a little pod mm-hmm. and cocoon thing and so she's like totally like wrapped in this plastic bassinet basically mm. bubble and so I got to like reach through and touch her but I I feel like my hand was even in like a rubber glove mm. like I don't even think yeah. I was touching her skin. And then, and they said, we can only be here for about 30 seconds. And they meant it. They were only in with us for about 30 seconds before they took her to the other hospital. So, um, I, I convinced my doctor to let me go that day. And my husband was like, please don't discharge to like get discharged from the hospital today. Because if something goes wrong with, with your healing and you end up like, this could be much worse and he's like I this is basically he he asked for himself Mm. that I say Mm -hmm. and so I honored that but I did get them to release me the next day Mm -hmm. which is still quite early Um, back then it was right and I was able to um get up and see her and she spent the first 80 82 or 83 days in the ICU and Mm. during that time frame started to learn more about her medical conditions and it's called green chromosome 18 and at the time they had something like 143 uh, documented cases ever in the world because they started testing chromosomes in the 60s so it was a fairly new phenomenon and I'm sure many people born with it you know were never even tested mm-hmm. and they didn't really know much about it there was you know maybe a dozen cases in the United States at that time at most Um, and I've actually ended up communicating with most of those moms um, through the years particularly when Sierra was alive or shortly after her death and we became Facebook friends and different things like that and a few I'm still in touch with Um, but the ring comes on 18 how much what details do you want I don't know where to yeah just what whatever you know you feel like would be important to share for your story and for other people to understand about her okay i mean so she ended up i remember one time going through all of her medical conditions um and just like starting to name them off i think it was just probably with a family member and i spoke for a half hour without pausing at a really similar cadence as i'm speaking right now Mm. and I spoke for a full half hour before I had named everything I could think of that she had had for diagnoses, mm. from prosencephaly, which is a neurological condition with the brain, agenesis of the corpus callosum, inflammation highway between the right and left hemisphere, cleft palate, um, stenosis of the kind of the, not the upper and not the middle lobe, kind of between the upper and middle lobe of her lungs. She had five different cardiac conditions, um, immune deficiency endocrinology issues with her pituitary gland and precocious puberty, um, severe hypoglycemia to where she was on continuous feeds through her G-tube, literally 24-7 to keep her blood sugar stable. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the thing that's interesting that's coming up for me right now to share is, you know, a lot of people were like, why not just let her die? And, um, you know, we spoke about, Jamie and I spoke about that the very first you know, night that she was earthside, we were like, well, maybe, maybe the, the kind thing is to let her body pass. And 
the long and the short is we really followed the guidance of the medical staff and the experts and we didn't feel comfortable starving her to death and we felt like you know anymore g-tubes are much more common than people think and it just gives them food through their tummy and most kids with a cleft palate are given that because they're going to aspirate too much through their palate mm-hmm. um, so it was a reasonable thing to feed her we weren't giving her crazy like antibiotics to fight infections that kind of stuff and we also thought it was reasonable to give her oxygen it wasn't she wasn't ever on a ventilator other than mm-hmm. after open heart surgery <clears throat> um so we just did what we felt like reasonable interventions but when i would list off all the things that she had going on medically it sounded like we were keeping her here to suffer and i fought with that a lot um through the years on whether or not i was doing that um, out of a selfishness for me or or for her and at the time it was so hard on me to have her because she just logistically was so challenging mm-hmm. um we ended up with 18 hours of in-home nursing care eventually it took a while to build up to that and mm-hmm. with insurance and all of that mm-hmm. but i mean she had to have constant supervision so it was so mm-hmm. tasking and so challenging for me just to give her her basic cares um yeah what were those sure she wasn't <clears throat> sorry okay. I was just going to ask those, you know, like first 80 days she was in the NICU, you said, and mm-hmm. and you have Dakota that's, you know, a toddler yeah. at that time. And do you yeah. want to give a kind of a snapshot of what that period of time was yeah, like for I mean, you? Gosh, unfortunately, it's not a very, that part's not a very original story. There's like any, like the, all the babies being born premature and at that time, I don't know what it looks like now up there, but at the time that my kids were being born, um, in vitro was making a lot of multiple, uh, mm-hmm. like multiples. And so there was a lot of premature um, twins and triplets yeah. with Sierra. And so um, I feel like there's, I've met a lot of people who have spent a lot of time in ICU and, and many who had another child or children and so you just you get through it we had a really great support system at the time who lived in Spokane my mom and dad were phenomenal at taking Dakota they also had a clubhouse for the kiddos at the hospital which is no longer there through COVID they shut it down but um hopefully that'll come back at some point but that was so that we just kind of made made our way through and had mm-hmm. some friends that she would stay with um but it was hard, you know, she went from being like the center of, the, of our universe to mm-hmm. Dakota Dick to being like, you know, passed around and like not seeing us as much. And I was super worn down. And mm-hmm. um, so I did my best to overcompensate um, kind of. So it kind of made a more extreme pendulum swing to that I, that was just the best I could do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember. I remember when I took Dakota to my mom and we met at like a parking lot and then handing her off to my mom to take her so that I could go to the hospital and my mom (laughs) and I both were on the same page and my mom goes I I really thought about like putting a helmet on her in the car and kind of like laughing at herself (laughs) at like the like craziness of that but also like I was like 
yeah, I thought about that too. <laughs> like, like, there's something about when you're looking at, you know, your babies, you know, possibly going to die. And then like, okay, this is my other baby. And I just had my tubes tied, right? Like, I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh. And so, it, you know, it started real early on um, getting a lot of neurotic and fear-based thoughts to protect Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um and so that poor kid has been really fucked up her whole life because of that. I'm, sure. oh. <laughs> I tell, I'm like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm putting away for your therapy. Don't worry. Mm. You, you mentioned that before Sierra was born that you had the potential name Alex chosen. How did you land on Sierra once she was Earthside? Um, we, both of our kids were named uh, before they, before we saw their faces. Um, basically, I mean, we don't have quite the stories that some people have where they mm-hmm. feel like their, their child chose it or different things like that. It really came down to, um, I would choose names I liked and if my husband <laughs> likes them or not and just agreeing. Yes. And um, I don't know, There, I think there's a sense of like with Sierra and it was spelled C-I-E-R-R-A and Dakota, I don't know. I And then our son came to us with the name Sun and there's there's something to me that just feels divine about those names. Like it's, um, they just feel big and powerful and beautiful. And so I was, I was yeah. glad yeah. Jamie liked right. those names and settled on them. So you're navigating, yeah, feeling more protective of Dakota now that Sierra is born and that you, what you knew was happening when she was in the womb, that reality was true. And then when did she come home with you and what was that like? Yeah, it was, it was a disaster. (laughs) But they, you, you spend the night at the ICU and they, you know, teach you how to use the machines and the oxygen and all this stuff and barely understand it, screwed up, you know, 10 times, but they, they're like, well, you went through it once successfully, you'll fumble through it at home. And I remember coming home and um, a nurse greeted us here who we didn't know and we had her set up kind of in this like hallway outside our room and kind of a square hallway next to the back door like just odd and I remember like just shutting down Mm. and going into the room and falling asleep but like the kind of sleep that's like escapism Mm -hmm. and um, very unlike me to do that kind of thing in my life I I haven't done that a lot but I just it was like some sort of coping mechanism that I later have seen Sierra do when she would get like physical therapy, like her body would be kind of being bent in a way for a stretch and she would just fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just a, it was just a coping mechanism. And I remember Dakota was so excited though, because she was not allowed in ICU. And so that was her first time really getting to touch her sister. She had seen her through the glass at Holy Family mm-hmm. before they took her. And, um, and then, and she just wanted to be a big, Oh, this will get me. Mm. Uh, I think my greatest heartbreak with all of this now is the, the, 
the hards and the, the hurts that have happened for Dakota and her, her life. Hmm. She's, she's like, she's an Aquarius. She's like super sensitive and super fierce and strong and comes across almost aggressive sometimes. <laughs> and, hmm. um, but she's so sensitive and so deeply caring and sometimes I just feel bad that I I wasn't ever able to get, give her a playmate you know I pictured having like four kids mm. and that they'd all be really close in age and that they would just you know get to grow up playing and adventuring and just doing fun things and driving each other nuts and all that normal sibling stuff and and I did not give her that and I think it could have been really good for her and I, I have to trust that like she had some agreement before coming here that that the, I have, it's harder for me to trust that this is exactly what she needed or wanted because I guess sometimes I have a hard time trusting that for myself too but I I do know um, having these unique experiences gives me um, a little bit different lens or a lot different lens to view life through and I'm grateful for it but I do see people who haven't had a lot of challenges with their kids and have just kind of you know average students and you know typical typically developing bodies and health and I'm like I, I don't even know how to relate to them as parents, really, um, other than the love. Mm-hmm. And I can, like, love their kid with them, and I can relate to them on love. But, like, how it's actually been for me to parent my kids has been, like, because the other thing, like, Dakota's, uh, like, she's just got interviewed to go to Stanford. Like, I don't know, we don't know if she got in yet, but, like, she's brilliant and just kind of off the charts with some of the way that her brain works and pretty almost every single thing that she attempts to do she becomes extremely good at it and stands out um, with just a few exceptions and even those if she put more time into it she she has the focus that it it's pretty incredible and then i had sierra who so dakota got tested for hydrocephalus because her head is so big it went off the (laughs) went off the scale and there's a big old brain in there and then sierra had microcephaly her head was so small um due to neurological issues and then i have son who's you know deaf adopted at an older age on the autism spectrum with other language um, delays uh, on top of all of that. And so I'm like, I don't know what it would be like to just have like an average human being as a child and mm-hmm. how to parent that. And it really, um, it's really been lonely for me to not be able to have the conversations with other parents and, um, you know, that they're having. Like, I, I cannot participate. I can only imagine what that is for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That is, yeah, such a unique mothering path that you have with these three different children of yours. And I can, yeah, hear through the way you're speaking about it. Like you said, you use the word like lens, like you, you now, you can't help but view 
life through a different lens and have this different breadth of understanding and I wonder if you could if you're able to articulate a little more about what that is for you like how um how it shows up in you personally and your life maybe not necessarily I understand that yeah you can't have the same dialogue and conversations with mothers who have like normally abled children but um how these distinct lives of your children have shaped you and changed altered that lens that you view life yeah yeah exactly so um like the first thing was oh I remember okay so I was like I'm gonna go out for a walk which was like a big deal like I was really confined to the house like I didn't go to the basement unless I knew somebody was over kind of hovering over Sierra for the most of her life and I went out for a walk we had a nurse and I just felt like you know when the nurses were here I was like trying to oh I should also say the first year of her life she had 155 appointments in a year and in that same year she spent six months of her life so like 165 days in the hospital Mm. so when you then take out weekends because the appointments were almost never on weekends I'm trying to think I don't know Mm. that there was ever an exception to the rule on that other than maybe like a blood draw or something um basically through those Monday and Fridays in the six months that she wasn't in the hospital, which it wasn't like six months straight. It's like bouncing back and forth from home to the hospital. She then usually would have anywhere between one and three appointments a day with just a few random days that didn't have an appointment. Mm. And so it was a super intense year. And I remember like, so I go out for this walk and another story popped in my head but I'm going to try and stay focused here so I decided to go out for a walk and I'm like oh. and before I even I live on rural property and before I'd even like gotten like a hundred yards down the road I had this like book idea come to me and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I have not completed it yet um, I think this first one's going to take me the longest and after that my children's books hopefully will start happening much faster mm. but it just like hit me like a like a like lightning it was like just came down and I just felt like this conduit for a message but um the long and the short of the message that I really got from my kids that I want to share with the world is you know my I have this one kid that's so brilliant and kind of the things that are both um annoying <laughs> because she can be so good at everything and and she can be annoying but mm-hmm. also like um well our society kind of worships and like it's like oh you know good at math good at like i don't know like all these things that like our school system is built for kids like my daughter as far as like she was a monkey in a tree and she just knew how to navigate the academia side of school Mm -hmm. and then there's sierra who it's as low functioning as a human can pretty much be other than if they were vegetative and she definitely was not vegetative she had a personality that was just sweet and um i can talk more about that in a little bit so she was you know but these very different personalities strong and fierce for one um kind of sweet and calm for the other one is brilliant and the other has at the time what I would have called mental retardation or developmental delays and 
I realize like that they're both so perfect however they come out and of course everything in between is as well and so it took having like these extreme you know a child on each side of the spectrum to the extreme for me to realize like it's all perfect she was born exactly as she was supposed to be born and um so that really that really informed how I see people now Mm-hmm. what was most supportive to you in those early years or you know were there things that people did or didn't say that did or didn't you know support you in that time um placations always I I didn't even know that's what they were called but the placating comments are annoying to me to this day I have more grace for them now probably than I did back then I would get more irritated um like the oh god wouldn't give you more than you can handle and mm. only the specialist you know or like the the most special moms or parents are giving giving kiddos like this or um and the easiest thing to compare ring chromosome 18 to what for me when I was explaining it to people would be to compare it to down syndrome because which is a terrible example, actually. Um, but Down syndrome has the three copies. You have two copies of each of our chromosomes. Down syndrome has a third. And Sierra, and it's on the 21st chromosome. In Sierra's case, is her 18th chromosome. And instead of having an extra copy or even her full copy, part of hers was deleted and basically it formed a ring. And um, so I'd kind of compare it. And some of, like, Sierra had... I think they refer to it as a carp-shaped mouth and kind of low-set ears and a um, little difference in how her eyes were situated on her face. And when she was little, you couldn't tell as much. As she started getting a little older, you could see it more, those differences. But, uh, I mean, she was just a, so pretty. She was such a pretty girl. Um, but where was it? Oh, I'm sorry. My ADD just took over. So where, what was the question? It's all good. I was just asking, like, you know, for people who might be listening, like, what was helpful that people did or said and what oh, was yeah. not helpful? So, well, yeah, so this, I remember now. So because people would always, after I'd shared that, then they would compare her. And even in looks, like, there, she was mistaken to have Down syndrome uh, numerous times by people that I never shared her condition with. And um, so people would say, oh, you know, people with, and they would use fairly... Um, disrespectful without knowing it language and how they would speak but they would basically tell me that all people with down syndrome are always happy and just like all these things and it's like no I know a lot of Mm. parents with kids with down syndrome and and I know their children and they're not always happy they have personalities and they're human Mm. and they can get pissed off just the same as anyone else like and so there was just all these weird things of people wanting to project what they needed it to be mm-hmm. like this is so hard I can't handle what it really is so I'm going to tell you what I think it is because this is how I digest it mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. can deal with the fact that this is so hard and and they just basically tell themselves lies to make themselves feel better and that was hard because I just I wanted to argue and be like uh no <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. and I did a lot and then there comes a point where it's like I don't have the energy for that anyway or do I actually value your opinion <clears throat> but it's hard to have people have these weird um 
just very distorted views of what we were going through in a way that minimized what we were going through Mm -hmm. um, so much. And then the people who just knew how to sit with me in the dark were the ones who were the the most helpful, who just were willing to say, yeah, this is is hard. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm so sorry that, you know, Sierra is dealing with so many challenges. Like, it's not easy to see your child go through that. I found just those really kind of, they often felt like more quiet, like less less words of their own and more mm-hmm. listening and more just like being there with you. Um, yeah. With us. Yeah. That would, was the most helpful. Would you share more about Sierra, about her personality or her essence? What did she love in this life? Mm. Oh, she was, okay, so on her headstone, which, okay, so Jamie and I were going to just, we were going to cremate her body because laying a body, for us, laying a body in a box, which goes in another box in the ground, especially with embalming, like it just felt really icky, and I'm going to, I'm going to promise I'm going to answer your question, (laughs) but to have, see, have Dakota feel comfortable when, when she heard, like, that her body would be burned like that really freaked her out Dakota mm-hmm. was eight years old when her sister died mm-hmm. and so even though we were equally as horrified of putting her body in a box in a box in the ground um we knew we had more tools to navigate our shit about it and so mm-hmm. so Dakota planned Sierra's funeral and she picked out the casket and the headstone and the headstone has two hearts overlapping mm. and they symbolize Dakota and see oh, every time I talk about Dakota with this when it gets me so it, it really it has to do with their love for each other and Sierra loved her sister Dakota was always crawling up in her crib mm. with her uh, she was real little yeah. her whole life and um didn't sit up very well so she had to like she had a wheelchair when she got older and would be like kind of strapped in like with a harness so that she wouldn't flop over because she had a little muscle tone mm-hmm. and, but when she was in her crib Dakota would like fall in and play with her and Sierra was also considered she was like <sighs> there's like a scale of like blindness and deafness and Sierra was like I'm going to just say like for simplicity three quarters of the way down the scale for both so for all intents and purposes, she was deaf and blind and had cognitive delays. So her process, her main two processing centers weren't there. And then um, the way that her brain worked with it added on top of it. And But they would interact, and it was just pure bliss and pure joy. And so Dakota and Jamie and I, we thought about what we wanted to put on our headstone, and that's the only part Jamie and I um kind of consulted Dakota with and we put on there peace love and joy because those three words embodied her existence as a spirit Mm. and I'm realizing how much I miss that manifested in a human yeah Um, certainly each of those things still show up in my life um, but not at once 
through one human the same way they did with her. Mm. She just, you know, there was nothing about this world that could jade her. She couldn't get that information. She was literally deaf and blind to it. And she didn't have the cognition to, to process it had she lived old enough. Anyway, um, so her spirit, like, came and went exactly as pure, um, it, you know, on the day that it arrived as the day it left. And, yeah, I'm pretty fucking special. Yes, yes. Would you like to share anything about, you know, her transition towards death or that time period? Or would you like to talk more towards the way that you mother and commune with her in the world of spirit? Mm. That's a good question. I'm trying, so I've really, I'd really forgotten who I was the last few years. Mm-hmm. two to three years and um, got really wrapped around the axle on a lot of things involving being human politics and how that dynamic affects our family um, an extended family particularly and being someone who just cares like I'm someone who gives many dams you know and so I get really upset about certain things and I can I can look at them logically, but I'm also someone who just feels the the pain of disconnect um, with people, and that's the part that, that hurts my heart. And so, long story short, I, I have not done a good job of being present to Sierra's essence um, the last few years, and so it feels kind of foreign for me at this point. But mm-hmm. After she died, which was quite sudden cardiac situation, which is, uh, we always knew she'd be done when she said, or when her heart stopped, because through everything, she went through so much, mm-hmm. and she would fight, fight, fight through respiratory stuff, and we just, I mean, we thought she was going to die so many times, and called 911 so many times, and I mean, we, even with, like, out crazy interventions, the kid just, she would fight for it. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be here. And um, it became really apparent. And we always said, if her heart stops, we'll know she's done. So um, we knew, like, and we so many times we had to talk about, okay, if this happens, like, like the DNR kind of form. Mm-hmm. It was really detailed in the hospital. And so we had to go through every scenario under the sun so many times. And then something weird would happen and she needed transfused and we never talked about that. What do you do? And, um, when her heart did stop though, even though we'd gone over it so many times, um, Janie and I both were like, you know, we, we want to try to bring her back. And it just, we just, we just had to know that we tried, I guess, even though I, we both knew like that was it. I was driving to the hospital when it happened and I got to the hospital before the I just sprinted through the hospital and I was sundressed and took my flip flops off and it was August, this beautiful sunshiny day. Not the kind of day people die, right? Mm. And I, they weren't even gonna hold her in the hospital but I told them, No, she needs to be here, something's wrong and 
they were like, well, we can't find what it is. I said, I know, but I need her to be here. I don't know what it, I just, I need her to be here. And so um, the fact that she was even there, they, they didn't really think she needed to be. And they did have her on a heart monitor though. So that's why they know that, let's see, is it V-fib? That is like the light switch going off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what happened for her, not A-fib. Of and mm-hmm. so I beat the crash team there and took a monitor off her foot so that when they brought paddles it wouldn't burn her skin and I just remember all, all I could say was I'm so sorry because mm. the day before when I had told them she needs to be here it was in the evening and it just meant that one night and I remember after being in the ER and getting upstairs none of the information transferred and they wanted us to go through everything again mm. which is a really long process when mm-hmm. you have a history like this <laughs> yeah and the nurses they knew her she was on Madonna status they didn't even say her last name it was just here it's here and thankfully one of the nurses who knew her said don't worry about it. I got this. You can, well, what led up to it is I started having a meltdown. I was usually pretty calm. And matter of fact, the hospital staff was really always kind and very complimentary towards my husband and I for our coping mechanisms, which felt like, I mean, I suppose it looked like that to them. I thought, yeah, but I go home and I fall apart, you know, but Mm -hmm. that night I I remember my hands were making big cross motions across my body and out, like giant X's. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with medically fragile. Mm. And I've always thought she knew what was done, but I was never done with her. No. I just couldn't get medically fragile anymore. And she died the next day. I I felt very like, oh shit, she she knew, and I have to do my best to not make it wrong, and that she was trying to give me a a gift. I don't know. She was so sensitive to energy, though. Like she just always knew. She knew who would walk into a room. We would watch her pulse oximeter. Mm. Her oxygenation would change. Her pulse would change mm-hmm. depending on who came in the room and um, she just knew and so that was really intense for me uh, and yes. I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to fully unpack it mm-hmm. uh, I, I have definitely felt like silver at times and I also thought like her spirit was so perfect I don't think that she would have had like she didn't have the same kind of cognitive thoughts it was very vibrational for her how she experienced life Mm -hmm. and I think when you're operating on that level that she would have been I don't think probably that she had the same kind of right or wrong about it that I do but but I do (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Um, but then after she died, I mean, I remember, like, before, 
like I knew something shifted before the hospital called to say she's in defib and I felt the universe shift and yeah. like to the point where I picked up my phone to call my like soul sister to say like, what just happened like it was like a rubber band snapping mm-hmm. like big inside my brain kind of a feeling but it was, it was vibrational and um and I remember when I was sprinting through the hospital it sounds <laughs> so funny it was almost like I had like a little like parakeet spirit of Sierra like on my shoulder like mm. I felt her literally next to my head as yes. I was running and um the weeks after her body died I remember thinking like all this physical world felt so like fake it's all mm. like not like the kind of like Kardashian fake kind of mm-hmm, stuff but mm-hmm. like it just felt like if I tapped my arms to make sure I was real, like that it was someone was playing a joke on me or something like, mm. like the, the metaphysical world was so much more real to me. And, you know, I didn't take any sort of drugs or alcohol or anything like that. Um, during that first week, I was probably a bit dehydrated and not sleeping well but not to the extremes where I was like hallucinating or anything, but it was so real that that access I had to her. And it was as if she was, I mean, I, she was with me still. And I, one of the things I credit to that practice of how I got there was, and I'm really, this is a good reminder to me to practice this more, is when I would do things away from the house when, when Sierra had her nurses with her, like on occasion I got to go to the lake and hang out with my family or something and I'd be so sad that I didn't have both my kids with me and I remember many times like sitting and just bringing Sierra like present in my mind and the next thing I knew I would really sense her you know in our home and what she was doing and I could just really sense her being and bringing that with me wherever I went became a, a really important skill for me to not be just like raped by sadness. It's kind of an aggressive way to say it, but that that <laughs> feels <laughs> how it was. Mm-hmm. It was really aggressive sadness. And so I was able to bring her with me and so I'd already practiced being present to her spirit when we were separated. Mm-hmm. But she was still earth side. <clears throat> and so I can say with certainty, like it was her that I was feeling, um, and I'm, I have not practiced doing that much. Now it tends to take a little bit more dramatic things um, for me to sense her, but I don't know if maybe that's because I'm, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack still for me to, but it's, it's a practice that I'd like to start doing more again. Yeah, and it's, it's okay not to know. And I can understand how, yeah, the the physical separation for that moment in time you said those first that first week really magnified your connection to her in the spiritual realm yeah how did yeah how did you and jamie and dakota like grieve and you know as you remembered sierra and care continue to carry her with you like how was that in your in your marriage? If you have anything you might yeah. want to share about that. 
Yeah, I've heard there are a lot of, I mean, the statistics for divorce is very high mm-hmm. when you have a, a child who is born with a developmental delay. It's also really high if you have a child born with illness, and then I suppose it's really high after death. And so mm-hmm. we had all of those going. I would say, oddly, for our marriage, those things were never our issues. Like, mm-hmm. the things that are our issues are much more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, like how we communicate and what we think the other means, <laughs> that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But um, for whatever reason, um, both just kind of our nature and some learned skills through some different personal development courses that we've done, um, we are pretty darn good at recognizing that everyone processes their emotions differently and that it doesn't need to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I'm highly emotional person when it comes to like letting my feelings out and not holding it in. And and by the way, I mean, I went through years of my life being very stoic, and I just didn't find it served me. So I was like, well, that's stupid. So, um, so I'm I'm not afraid to cry. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, Jamie has cried three times about her passing mm-hmm. and one at this and when he got to the hospital that was not one of them so we were in the hospital room with her dead body and he did not cry and it didn't strike me as odd because I know his heart and I know I mean he was a total fucking mess it just didn't look like it to most people yeah. but I think that's like maybe my ability to sense that about him and just to trust his heart and then um so I have only seen him cry just a little bit at her funeral and um that's okay and so Mm -hmm. I I bring that up because I think it's important um if anybody else is going through that to to realize that it's okay but I think the other thing we each did is we gave each other space to be exact like we didn't like he never was like you're too emotional and I never once was like you're not emotional enough like it just wasn't even it wasn't a thought we had and it wasn't anything we would ever you know say to one another or anything so we always there was always a space for each of us to show up however we showed up yeah you supported and respected the different ways in which you you grieved and remembered and yeah yeah I mean to the point where it almost just was like there really wasn't even a lot of thought that went into it. It was just the way it was. And there was, but in a, not in resignation, in a very peaceful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you have any ways or things, traditions that you um, choose to do in your family in celebration of her remembrance or? Yeah. We're not, I feel like a lot of people are much better at, like, really doing, like, overt things. Um, They're not better. They just choose differently. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, let's see here. Her birthday is December 20th, so it's right before Christmas. So, it kind of changes. But, like, this year, I think we, wait, I can't even remember. But I know that we've actually, like, done Christmas on, oh, yeah, it was this year, um, this last Winter, we celebrated Christmas with um, my mom and dad. I, I'm not, 
not necessarily like a huge holiday for me, but it is in our, it was growing up in our family. And so mm-hmm. um, it's been really cool to move celebrating, you know, for me, it's more like the solstice and um, Yule to Sierra's birthday, which is like a day or two, depending on the year, I think, different mm-hmm. than solstice. So mm-hmm. I, I do a mantle that is, um, got pink and green and stags and very feminine cream colors and lots of like twinkly lights and mm. it's just is very representative of her and then anytime we see this those really crazy sunbeam rays that are shooting out of clouds we call them sierra rays because it's the morning of the funeral in august um it was just the most incredible sky that i've probably ever seen um to the point where somebody like over probably 150 miles away took a picture of the sky because they were seeing the same thing wow. and um, framed it for us because they went at the funeral and it was just like so so it, ours kind of comes sporadically because we never know when those beings will but we get really present and have a moment when we see those and we acknowledge it out loud and then on the day of her passing I try to do something adventurous that reminds me that we are alive physically mm. so like last year we went into planning um the year before that we did a really cool bike ride called the Hiawatha um and that's you know mostly downhill and you know pretty like kind of where it like feels like an all-day adventure and like yeah. yes we're alive we're here yeah and that feels like a, a good acknowledgement I love that how beautiful what beautiful honorings um is there i know i want to be conscious of your time is there anything else any other little stories or things you feel would be important to presence in the here and now I don't really know 
what I believe and don't believe, but sometimes I, I will have this fun little idea that, like, maybe she was an angel who somehow ended up in a human body, and she mm-hmm. had to come in that human body because had she come in one that could contemplate more of our humanity, her spirit may not have been able to leave as pure as it came. Mm-hmm. And maybe, like, the reason that she came is because maybe she was becoming a jaded angel. <laughs> if that's even possible. I don't know if angels have personalities like humans. And maybe she had to come to feel how surely humans can love. Oh, Cammy. You just honor and share about her and your, your own journey so vulnerably and honestly. And I just... So, yeah, I'm, like, moved to tears right now trying to express how beautiful and important and how grateful I am for you to share with me and all the others that, you know, will be listening. So, thank you. Oh, thank you. Really, really, really so nice to talk about her. Mm. So nice to have, like, It's been such an honor to soak in these stories, so thank you, thank you, 